Welcome back to Switchcast Live. This is this is the beauty of a live show. We have <laughs> a minute of, of fun at the beginning. Uh, thank you for watching. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your commitment. This is uh, episode number 20, and we are back to an open, not an open line Wednesday. That is Rush Limbaugh's line, open line Friday. Any of you know who Rush Limbaugh was. Uh, wide open Wednesday, that's right, because we don't want to violate any copyright, even if the person's dead. Wide open Wednesday, and we're taking your questions, your calls, and we've got some preloaded questions here, and I'm going to talk about some automotive news from the week, different things affecting the automotive market, and try to uh, interpret what's going on and wade our way through the, the muck that is... 2020 and 2021, uh, not only with just everything that's going on in the world, but everything that's going on in the car market with crazy price inflation and uh, speculation on collector car values. So we're going to try to help navigate that with some real data because that's that's what really matters is data, right? So we see car values going up uh, anywhere from 30 to a hundred percent depending on the car in the last couple years and nobody really knows why everybody has their best guess of course but i feel like if we did know why then we would have known beforehand and been able to see those trends coming and predict them and um i'm not sure that i know anyone that in december of 2020 said yep i'm gonna buy up a whole bunch of cars because they're gonna skyrocket in value in the next few months so if you did certainly call in i know a few people who have claimed to have known that but i think they just got lucky on timing more than anything else so i certainly didn't see it coming and i've been doing this for a long time but i don't know maybe i just haven't learned anything but uh one of the uh most interesting articles that came out that i found well interesting to repeat myself before i get there i'm sorry i'm getting ahead of myself if you would like to participate in tonight's show, you're welcome to call in live. Ask me anything you want, as long as it's somewhat car-related. The number to call in is 216-294-4124, or you can post your questions or comments or whatever, fodder for discussion or debate in the comment flow if you're watching on YouTube or Facebook, and we look forward to interacting with you. I say we, it's a collective we. Uh, really, it's just me, unless I have multiple personality disorder, which some people have alleged that we do. I mean, I, uh, I don't know. I guess we has a whole different meaning now in 2022 because of identity stuff. But we're not going to go there because this is not a political talk show. This is this is about cars, unless we're talking about the politics related to cars, which of which there is a lot. I'm rambling now, but that's what you get. Okay, so an article that was posted. What in the world is going on? I have got to get rid of this. Is this my mail app giving me notification noises? I don't know how to get rid of this. Sorry, guys. Um, an article that was posted was the... Um, I've got the wrong one pulled up here. Off to a good start. Average new car pricing relative to MSRP. Now, MSRP stands for Manufacturer Suggested Retail Price. And in history, 
rarely did a car sell for MSRP unless it was a very limited model or a brand new model that just came out and you had to have the first one. And even more rarely did it sell for over MSRP, even in my heyday of flipping Porsches and BMW M cars when they came out. That was a very small segment of the market. Um, most people wanted and expected a discount. Rebates were a regular thing. And certainly you wouldn't see a Ford F-150 or a Kia, for that matter, selling its sticker. Rebates are in, in incentives were the name of the game. But an article was posted showing, uh, let's see, it was Edmunds. Just in the last year, so a, a year ago, the car market was already inflated. Uh, January of 2021, uh, it had started going up significantly from the fall of 2020, and it already been going up from March and April of 2020 when it dipped a little bit at the beginning of the pandemic. But um, since last year, uh, let's see, the number of cars or the percentage of new cars selling under MSRP was about 98% and about 1% were still selling over sticker. In January of 2022, 82% of cars are selling over sticker. 82% over sticker. Only 17% were selling under sticker, which to me is absolutely friggin' baffling. I know why it's happening because supply and demand, et cetera, et cetera. But we're also not talking about the fact that, and I need to pull the yearly numbers, but at the end of second quarter of 2021, even when, with these massive price increases, the number of cars sold had not decreased. It had actually increased. And it had increased from 2019, not just from 2020, because you could say, well, 2020, the world was shut down, production was shut down. That's, that's not a, a good measure, uh, a, a good basis to be used for a statistic, which is true. So measured from 2019, there was a large increase in volume of sales over 2019. So that tells me that in some sense, the car makers and the dealers are using this as an opportunity, number one, to do on-demand inventory, which is great for them because they no longer have floor plan costs. They have less advertising costs. They probably have less salesperson costs because when you're taking orders at sticker, you don't have to have salespeople that are good at their job or for that matter, really even salespeople because you're not selling anymore. You're just order taking. It's a Ferrari business model. Um, But car dealers' profits were through the roof and everybody's entitled to make money. Uh, But I think you should make money fairly based off of proper information. And when your volume is way up and you jack your margins way up, basically just playing off of consumers' fears and frenzy, I don't think that's a good way to do business. However, that is what it is. The consumers drive the market, not the dealers. They're just capitalizing it on on an opportunity. But the statistics remain that sales have really not diminished from a volume perspective. Dealers just have been able to not have to keep inventory, which is great for them. And I don't think they're going to want to go back to the old model, even when the production catches up. Now, back to the 
statistic at hand. So 82% of cars sold for over sticker. I am going to engage the peanut gallery here, and I want to know if anyone can guess the manufacturer that had the highest overage, highest average overage, not, a, not on a percentage basis, but on an actual dollar value basis over MSRP. Dan Doucette is not allowed to play because <laughs> he knows more than you. Okay, you can play, but you can't guess first. What manufacturer had the highest average over sticker price in January of 2022? What manufacturer? Dollar amount, not percentage. We have a Toyota guess. Was that Dan Doucette? As that was Chris. You said Toyota. Somebody said Lexus. Okay, something like Kia. Anyone? Anyone? Okay, well, Porsche is number two. Porsche had an average over MSRP of $1,721. Hyundai is number one for $1,863. The average Hyundai sold for $1,863 over sticker. They beat out Toyota, Nissan, GM, Mercedes-Benz, Volkswagen, Ford isn't even on the list, and they've got the Broncos coming out. I This is unfathomable to me that Hyundais, which are famous for, well, we have a 100,000-mile warranty so we can sell friggin' cars and low lease prices and incentives and anything they can do just to sell cars is now selling cars for $1,800 over sticker. If this doesn't say if this doesn't tell you there's a reckoning coming, I don't know what does because that is not going to last. It cannot last and it will not last. Hyundai's just aren't that good. Let's let's be honest. They're getting better, but 1800 bucks over sticker, my goodness. Um so then the, the that begs the question, where is the money coming from? Right? Follow the money. That's what you do with terrorists, that's what you do with science. Um no, I'm sorry, science cannot be questioned. Science is absolute. But you follow the money to find out how to make sense of the data. Um, and that's what's really, I guess, uh, perturbed me because I've been trying to figure out where all this money is coming from, right? So we know that the government printed a whole bunch of money last year. Uh, the bailouts, the PPPs, um, you know, somewhat unconditional unemployment. And most of those came to an end, right? So they're not like continuing to print money forever. People aren't getting unemployment forever, yet they're still leaving their jobs at record numbers. But unemployment is at like 3.9%, right? So they're at least not getting money from the government. So we're like, okay, where is this money coming from? Because, um, you know, we're trying to buy a house and a lot of the houses are selling for over asking price and they're all cash offers. And a lot of cars are selling for cash. And I'm going, okay, this doesn't make sense because it, at the beginning of the pandemic, so March of 2020, I pulled a statistic that said that 78% of people in America are living paycheck to paycheck. That means that if they lose one paycheck, Essentially, they're broke. They can't pay their mortgage. They can't put food on the table. 
That is a really, really scary statistic. But all of a sudden, a year later, people are buying half million dollar houses for 10% over asking, paying cash, right? That money didn't just come out of nowhere. Sure, the government printed a bunch of money, but there isn't that much money out there. So where did it come from? There's speculation, well, not speculation, Zillow bought up 7,000 houses in order to flip them. Um, there's uh, Black Turd, Black Hawk, Black, some major investment firm that's been buying up houses as well because they have trillions of dollars in cash. But the average consumer didn't all of a sudden get rich or change their financial status as a result of the government printing a whole lot of money. And, and for that matter, right? So if, if, if 78% of people are living month to month, that means that 78% of people didn't know how to manage money. And what's the statistic on, on lottery winners? Like they all go broke, like 99% of lottery winners go broke. It's because they didn't know how to manage money before they got a whole bunch of it. And then they got a whole bunch of it. It goes back to a biblical principle. If you're faithful with a little, you'll be entrusted a lot. But if you can't manage a little, you can't manage a lot. And I'm grossly oversimplifying that. But um, it, people who couldn't manage money before aren't going to manage government money well. So they're not all of a sudden going to turn it into incredible riches and be cash flush and buying cars and houses. So this money has to come from somewhere. I found an article recently that I guess... Um, uh, I don't know the word I'm looking for. It, it confer, confirm my suspicions. That is the word I was looking for. That debt is still a thing and it's still fueling this. And that tells me that when the supply catches up with the demand, first of all, the demand is not necessarily built on the proper foundation, uh, but also that we're going to have we're going to have a problem eventually. So, um, an article came out from CNBC, I think also Forbes, that 31% of people buying new cars are now financing it for over six years. The standard auto loan used to be five years. And that's, I mean, that's too long anyway for a car loan, um, I'm a big fan of the zero year, no payments, 100% down, no credit check plan. Like you should pay cash for your cars, but whatever. People aren't going to. There's, you know, there's a there's a huge auto debt issue in the market. But anyway, 31% of people are financing for more than six years. Um, that is crazy. Uh, that's like. Uh, five years is 60 months, 72, so more than six years. So it was between 73 and 84 months. That is a really, really long loan for a new car. And they're doing it because the prices are inflated. Now, that's a bad reason to do it, right? So long-term financing has always been a thing in the collector car industry because people buy cars that they say, well, these aren't really going to go down in value and I just want the cash flow, Right. So I'm going to buy this $200,000 car that's probably going to be $250,000 and I'm going to finance it for 12 years so I can have low payments. Still a stupid decision, 
but half the time it ends up working out because the card does maintain its value. It's a really, really stupid decision on cars that historically lose 50% of their value in the first three years and another 50% of their value in the next three years. So basically you're financing an item over six years. It's going to lose 75% of its value in those six years. If you're financing it, that means you can't afford it because you didn't pay cash unless you're one of those people that says, well, I'm really smart. I'm going to finance it at a lower rate to keep cash in my bank account. Fine. Okay. Would you take out a loan to have cash in your bank account? No. So people are financing it. And over the term that they're financing it, the car is going to lose 75% of its value before they even friggin' pay it off. That is a problem. So not only so they're doing it because they want to keep up with demand, right? So it's essentially just like a feeding frenzy. They're not doing it because they need the car. They want the car. It's because everybody else is doing it. They're afraid they're going to miss out. Prices are up. When prices are up, people should stop buying stuff that is antithetical to economic theory, right? Especially for a good. A car is a good. It's It depreciates. It is something you use and it goes down in value but it is transformed into an asset. We're living in an asset economy where as demand goes up, or sorry, as prices go up, demand goes up, but there are prices on stuff that like a Ford F-150, you friggin' throw it away after 10 years because it's rusted out and you got 200,000 miles on it because you used it on your farm. Like that, that's what you do f- with them. That's what you're supposed to do. Uh, Anyway, so not only is the total amount financed up, I think it's about $29,000 is the average amount financed, but it's it's not even that people are lowering their payments by extending these loans. The average monthly payments on cars are also at an all-time record high at approximately 450 bucks a month. This signals to me that we've got a problem. We're going to have a problem in a couple years because people are going to be insanely upside down on their cars because the supply is going to catch up. The demand, in my opinion, is going to wane. It's, it's, it's like the opposite of when General Motors did the employee discounts, right? Everybody who's going to buy a car in the next two years ran out and bought a GM or Ford, or I guess all the manufacturers did it, you know, the employee discounts for everybody because they, they could get a deal now because the price was low. That's how economics work. You lower the price, demand goes up. We've got a reverse phenomenon going on where prices have gone up and demand is going up, but it's not demand that's based on, you know, f- fundamentals of economy. It's not people with cash. It's people taking out loans because they're scared of missing out. Missing out on what? A friggin' price increase. Is not even missing out on a sale. It's not the original mattress factory having 20% off. It's friggin' 20% jacked up pricing. Oh no, I'm going to miss out on a Hyundai at over sticker. Did we ever think we would ever hear that? Ever? Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to go to a commercial because I'm worked up. I see the more I think about it, a Hyundai, we're going to miss out at a Hyundai at over sticker. Oh my goodness. I better go out and finance this Hyundai at two grand over sticker for seven years. And let me get the friggin' warranty too. Oh, 
This is bad. This is, this, I, like I, those are the stats that, that you look at and you go, okay, the, the, things are going to change. This will not go on forever. And when it ends, it's not going to end well. It's going to end really badly. Celebrity Machines is a proud sponsor of SwitchCast. Celebrity Machines offers more than 250 different screen-accurate license plates as they appeared in movies and TV shows like Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, The Office, The Fast and the Furious, Breaking Bad, and so many more. Celebrity Machines also makes our Switch Cars dealer insert plates as well as our commemorative 2539 plates from the fastest cannonball run ever. Visit CelebrityMachines.com for more info and use promo code SWITCHCAST to save a whopping 25.39% at checkout. You know what? No. I'm sorry, Travis. I hope you're listening. We're going to change it up here. We're going to follow the model of the, the rest of the world. If you use promo code SWITCHCAST, you get a 25, it's 25.39% over MSRP. Right? Because if you raise the price, demand will go up. So, Travis, please fix that discount code. You're going to pay 25% more. And you probably actually should because the price of aluminum is going way up. Travis can't get raw aluminum. And you may never be able to get a plate again. So, you should just go out and buy it now. And, Travis, I think Travis might um, might offer financing, too, on his license plates. So, Eh, you know, go buy a license plate before you can't anymore. That That's how we're going to sell stuff now. All right. If you want to talk to us, I mean me, call in live, 216-294-4124, and you'll get to talk to Ethan Huffnagel, who has a voice that's almost as smooth as his hair, and you might get to talk to me. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Or you can just post a comment and Ethan will forward it to me and I'll do my best to answer your questions. Uh, so we are going to go to some questions here in just a minute. Uh, Paul Carmi asked, what is my favorite Top Gear episode? Oh, gosh. Um, I have not watched Top Gear in a long time. I think I watched like maybe five to seven of the seasons. I... I don't know how to answer that. They're all really, really good. Um, I'll just answer it in this. Top Gear was way better than the Grand Tour because Top Gear had incredible writers and you didn't, you couldn't tell it was scripted. You didn't, it was like The Office. You didn't want to believe that it was fake. Uh, but man, they're, they're all just really, really good. So, yeah. Um, Chris is on hold. He wants to talk about the car market. Chris from Boston. We like people from Boston, even though they are Flatlanders. What's up, Chris? Just the first loser to you and Arnie. How are you, buddy? <laughs> good. How are you? I'm good. I heard you talking about the wild car market, and obviously that's what I live every day. So uh, I figured I'd add some color with uh, what's going on with financing and all these crazy prices over sticker and everything else that we're seeing out there all right yeah shoot yeah so um one of the things we're seeing with a lot of these bigger banks is they've kind of figured out that all right we've gotten hurt before mm -hmm. and they're not alone over original sticker price okay so 
seeing like these G wagons that are, you know, 50, 60, 70, a hundred thousand dollars over original sticker. And if you don't have the cash to put down difference, they're just not financing you. So you're actually starting to see all of these G wagons that everyone went out and speculated about. And I'll raise my hand as a speculator. uh, Evil. Yeah. Starting to come down in price at all of the wholesale auctions. And they're just, Sitting and their day supply is growing uh, quite rapidly. Interesting. So, uh, yeah, so you're seeing it there. Um, kind of the only place that you're not seeing it is in your, you know, the, the new GT3 market as well as some other uh, performance cars. And but again, still you have to come up with the cash difference down. Right. And I think like you know, as as a savvy human being, if you can afford a three hundred thousand dollar car. Like, you're going to put $100,000 down because it's $100,000 over sticker for a GT3 and then still have a $4,000 a month payment? I just, I think there's a very limited amount of people that are willing to do that on these cars. And as time has gone on over the last, I don't know, 90 days, I feel like the general public is sort of waking up to that. Now, is 10, 20 grand over sticker for something that you just can't get? a reasonable number, I guess it probably is, but I think the days of fifty to a hundred thousand dollars over sticker for SUVs is, is is coming to an end. Right. Sure. Well the, the you answer the question in some sense. The question always is where is the money coming from? And right. if it's coming from banks and people are financing it and paying the overage because they feel that's the only way they can get it or they'll miss out, yep. then that's not sustainable. If it's coming from people with cash who say I have assigned or ascribed this value to this car. I'm willing to pay 100k over. I can afford it, and th- then that's sustainable. That that's real value. And I think most of those people on things like the G wagon um, have already bought, right? Yeah. So you're starting to see them pop up at auction. Like um, uh, I'm seeing more than ever, um, and the no sale count is probably 50% hmm. because I think a people went out, paid the moon for them, expected to get it and are just not getting it and are cutting their losses. When I say people, I mean dealers. <laughs> um, and no, that, that's a good, that's a good thought too, because there's a lot of dealers. I see this in the GT3 market as well. There's a lot of cars that go from dealer to dealer to dealer and the price goes up along the way and consumers buy a percentage of those cars on the way up but if it was only consumers buying like if 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 a law was passed tomorrow um i sorry an executive order was made tomorrow then the only consumers could buy cars i think that would change the market because i watched the 997 gt3s and rs's and i i they just bounce from dealer to dealer and you'll sell them to a consumer for 130 then a dealer will pay 140 and then a different dealer will pay 150 and that tells me that there's more dealers buying cars and speculating than there are end users actually paying the money. And that also is not sustainable. It's not a dealer hot potato, right? Yep. Like everyone thinks they've got a better way to get it done. And, you know, I would like to think that we do it the right way and we market ourselves, we market our cars the right ways. But, you know, I, I don't think we're trying to get rich on one car. We're trying to make a lot of money on a lot of cars. And unfortunately, there's a number of dealers, brokers, speculators that are trying to get rich on every single car. Right. And, I think and it's worked 
the last year and a half. It it has it, it has, and you know I'm turning. I'm having brokers who I've always bought cars from reaching out to me. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm not buying that car. What do you mean? Well, I bought this car because I thought you'd buy it. It's not my problem. You didn't ask me. <laughs> uh, well, why, well, you bought this from me 90 days ago. I go, yeah, the market's very different today yeah. than it was 90 days. And yep. to be quite honest, with all of the things going on in the world, um, you know, it's it's really hard to make a three hundred thousand dollar decision on a speculation it's just not you know i I don't want to be the guy holding the bag but you still have to participate in the in the car industry and that's uh, on that wholesale car club facebook forum that that's uh entertaining more than it is useful but it's useful sometimes but um uh chad posted something really good about just having to continue to participate because all along the line, we've all said, man, this is crazy. This is crazy. We've been saying this is crazy for two years, but if I had stopped participating in the market two years ago, because I thought it was nuts, then I would have like, yeah, I would have been totally wrong. I would have been broke because I didn't sell any cars for two years. Now, am I going to lose some money on some cars when the market corrects? Absolutely. We all are, but I also have not been paying speculative money for cars hoping that it'll go up in value to offset my stupidity yeah and and i, and I think we're seeing it where you know someone is going to buy the cars right so someone has to have the cars to sell mm-hmm. and at the, end of the day i think you just have to make really good decisions from a dealership standpoint and also from a private you know someone that's going to that's purchasing they need to make a good decision like you know, I think paying $100,000 over sticker for a G-Wagon, which in the past has always depreciated, is stupid. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're going to pay a little bit over for a sports car, you're going to keep the car for, for years and enjoy it and have fun and take it to track days. And like, okay, well, that's like a price of entry, right? Yep. But I just think there, there there's some real stupidity going on in the market, even, even from a consumer standpoint of, yeah, well, the market just keeps going up, so I'm just going to keep paying over sticker. Well, right. I've seen some pretty interesting uh, situations of negative equity as of late. Yeah. Um, and it, oh, it's it's, it's going to be real interesting. Yeah, and and when I say negative equity, I don't mean negative equity from banks. I mean, well, I paid two hundred. Yeah, but it's worth one seventy five. How is that possible? I thought the market was up. It, it is, but not on this car, <laughs> right? Right. So it's mm-hmm. uh, it's very interesting. Yep. Yeah. It's not up on every car and that ebbs and flows as speculators get in and out of different models. So you might be up 30% from two years ago, but you know, like Acura NSXs is a good example. I I think because they went like way up and then they kind of settled a little bit. They're still, they're still up 40% from where they were two years ago, but they're off of their high. Right. I remember buying them, you know, uh, 17s with like, I don't know, 8,000 miles for like 112. That same car is like 148. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just like, it makes zero sense. Yeah. So uh, you're, you're right. Now, again, there's way less cars in the marketplace. People want to have fun. People want to show off. People want to take their car to the track, go to rallies, take someone out, take a girl out to dinner, take a guy out to dinner, whatever. It's not, you know, that's not marginalized here. But, yeah, um, women own you know, cars it, too. Yeah, right. You know, and it's uh, it's it's one of those things that's like, you know, um, because you can't get new ones, everyone's willing to pay the wood for used ones. The mm-hmm. interesting thing 
And that's not going to change. And that's like, (laughs) as much as we have a pressure from the financing side of it, we're not seeing the supply chain lifting or supply chain issues lifting for six months to a year. So that that's going to continue to be a a pressure on the market driving demand. So, so we have, uh, 24 brands Mm -hmm. and, um, no brand of the 24 brands with the exception of two specific Italian brands, um, are, uh, saying that they are going to have any, normalcy with fulfillment for at least eight months and that brand actually having major issues right now who have been saying six to eight months so you know this is even affecting hyundai honda so on and so forth so while some of those brands are in better shape it's just kind of take what you can get the interesting piece the one that interesting to me is lamborghini so they're basically they're sold out through 2023 and they're even almost sold out of their whatever their Huracan and Aventador replacements are for the next year. So that one is interesting where, like, any of these 10-cylinder cars, since they're going to go hybridized, they've all gone way up. Okay, and so I here's my question, though. Sorry, finish. Yeah. What, do you, what do you think? No, no my, my thing with that is, is I actually don't think that that's a bad play because they're, like, you know, thirty to $50,000 over sticker, right? Uh, for, for a pre-owned one with light miles and, um, and, and you know, for Huracan Evo or something like that, right? Um, but the new car, when it comes out, being hybridized, like, a lot of people don't want that. People want the last of the V10, the last of the normally aspirated. Right. And but we've can, seen that can. before. So 2013 right. to 15, there was a, uh, I guess it was, no, it was, it was like 2015. We had that huge right. bump in manual transmission cars. Yep, yep, and agreed. Because they're, oh, it's the last of the manuals. They're not making it anymore. And most of that was true. Some manufacturers decided to continue them, but most didn't. But it also kind of wore off. There was this huge speculation, and then everybody wanted in because it was a thing, and then people stopped caring. And I feel like there's a, there's a contingency of that. Like, how many orders are going to drop off once yeah, it's not it, a thing anymore? Because, right, like, people... I'll use myself as an example. I love the new Maserati MC20. Love it. Maserati friggin' hit it out of the park. I would never in a million years buy a brand new Maserati because I don't want to make a stupid financial decision. Right? What's the the Tiger King? I'm never going to financially recover from this. That's that's buying a new Maserati. I really want to buy one because I'm like, oh, well, frick there's enough demand I could buy one and drive it for six months and sell it for what I paid for it. I wouldn't buy one other than that. And there's a huge contingency of people that are getting in on cars because they think it won't cost them any money or they'll make money on it because it's the last V10 last manual, this and that. As soon as that's not a thing anymore, everybody's going to run, make a run on the bank, whatever, cliche you want to use going to jump off that bandwagon and cancel their orders because they'll say well frick i don't i don't want it to cost me a hundred grand to buy this new lamborghini and maserati so let me let, let me speak to lamborghini thing first and then we do have a two maserati dealerships so i can speak to that as well so the lamborghini piece i get your point about what happened in that like 13 to 16 run up on manuals and then porsche said oh we're putting a manual back in a gt3 and the whole thing went wild again so um you know 
I get that point. The difference between now and then is cars were on lots then, and people could buy them. Right now, people can't buy anything. Uh, sure. there's, there's nothing out there. There's this, that, that's the major difference is like you just you could get them then. Yeah, you maybe paid a little more. You had to travel a little further, but they existed. Right now, the cars don't even exist. And that's, I think that's the difference. So to your point, yes, I think it will change. But I also don't know if it's a, it's a good comparison. I get your point, but I, I don't, I don't, I'm not seeing that. Right. As well, the, I'm as saying that the, the demand could drop even if the supply doesn't come up just because of a change in the wind and people's perception. Yep. No, I get it. I get it. I, I understand what you're saying. And, I, and I, I'm definitely not speculative on those cars. I would love to have those cars in stock at some of our dealerships. But it's not necessarily um, – I, I, I'm not as scared of those as I am of, of like, G-Wagons. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm scared of GD3s as well. Because yeah. I, I just think there's only so many people that are willing to pay $100,000 over sticker for that car. Sure. I, just, I just think it's a very finite number. Um, as for the MC20, that one's interesting. So um, the first 40 or so cars have already hit the U.S. shores. And I would say 50% of those cars are in the process of being flipped by a broker. So hmm. I don't know if you remember the, the one that was on Bring a Trailer that they pulled down. I, so I didn't see of, that they pulled yeah. it. I, I just saw there was one on there, and I think it was black, so I didn't care what happened. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I so, hate black um, cars. Ma- <laughs> Maserati saw it, went to the dealer, basically was like, you need to get your client to pull this down. They're like, well, our client already sold it to somebody else. And basically, it became this whole thing, and then Bring a Trailer had to pull, pull it down after it was already forty grand over sticker. Wow. So, literally, within 48 hours of that, everyone that had an MC20 on order, before they take delivery, has to sign a six-month no-flip, just like Ferrari does with all their yep. new cars, right? So, now, what's happening is I've been offered six MC20s that are on the ground for up to $100,000 over sticker <laughs> over the last, like, 72 hours. And because what's happening is all these guys that thought they were you know, going to flip the car aren't. So the only flippable cars, these guys think they've got gold, right? And, and the thing is, is no one's paying the money for them. That's so funny. It, that's it, kind of, it, so that, so that's interesting that that many flippers ordered them because that actually is what, well, that's what kind of killed the F40 market, but that's also what ruined the M4 GTS market is everybody yep. that ordered one was a flipper and all the yep. good BMW customers who actually wanted one and would have paid sticker couldn't get one, and then they lost interest in them because all the flippers got them, and then they went from being sold out at sticker cars to everybody canceled their order, and they were like thirty grand below sticker before they even arrived. So, you know, if, if you want to sell me an order for an MC20 for twenty grand below sticker, I will promise not to flip it. Right, and, and that's the thing. And, and, and by the way, there's not even that much markup in the car, FYI. So it's not like you know, it, it's, it's all right. a very weird. You can make it up on the next it, customer. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah How many times have you car. heard that? <laughs> yeah, exactly, uh, a lot. Um, but you know, I, I, again, I, I didn't mean to uh, hijack your show. But when you're talking about the market, I know you and I have talked about it a lot. So I figure I'd add some color from uh, from the right coast over here. Yeah. In, in all seriousness, I do kind of want to try an MC20. So if you have an order slot open up that allows me to spec it out in burgundy with lots of Alcantara and leather and burgundy stitching and more burgundy and burgundy calipers, and let me know. 
Doug, I'll, I'll sign the no like flip order, agreement. If you would like to order a 2023, <laughs> I, I have not got allocation yet, but like anything, like anything, if you uh, want to order one, the best thing to do is put an order in so that your allocation is accepted early, and we only take a $10,000 refundable deposit. I don't know if I'll still want one then. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I, know, I know. All right, Chris. All great right. talking to you. All Good right. to hear from you. Thank you for your call. <laughs> All right, man. Have a, have a great night. All right. right. Talk Good at you later. Bye. Yep. Bye. Switchcast is brought to you by Boxcast. Boxcast is a live streaming company based in Cleveland, Ohio, and they serve broadcasters and viewers in more than 200 countries. Their founders launched Boxcast back in 2013 with one purpose, to make people part of the experience. If you're looking to live stream your podcast, church service, car show, sporting event, wedding, or even your cannonball attempt, Boxcast is an easy, flexible, live streaming platform for organizations. Boxcast is so easy, we are broadcasting this show live with our phone. Head over to switchcars.com slash boxcast for your free trial. If you'd like to talk to us, call in 216-294-4124. Post your comments wherever you're watching live. I see them. Ethan has sent them to me. I will get to them. But first of all, we're going to some comments from... The Instagramas, Tyler, go. We don't have, well, I'm sorry, Tyler's awesome, but we don't have Mark Spence's deep, lovely, wooing voice. I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to be me. That's fine. You need to be I, closer I to the it. mic than him, though. Well, yeah, well, he needs to be like across the room <laughs> from the mic and we'd be all right. <laughs> okay, fire away. All right, so I'm pretty curious to see your thoughts on this question because okay. I'm not sure how much I agree with it. Okay. Not that people care what I think. Okay. Uh, this is from CCASI7. Do you think there's a problem with people only buying manuals because they're worth more and or they're told that it's better, when in reality sometimes an auto would suit their needs much better? Is it like ordering super spicy food just to seem cooler? <laughs> Obviously, some people prefer the manual experience, but some, if not most, probably buy it because they're told that's what's good. Man, like we just talked about this in 2015... A friend Sabo and I were sitting at RM auctions. Uh, previous to that auction, I could not sell a manual 599 for 200 grand because they were garbage. 599s are great. Manuals are great. Manual 599s. No. Just like, you know, you can pick your nose, you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your nose friends. Yes. See what I did there. Um, no, Absolutely. There is a herd mentality in the car industry where there's like 20% of people who say they're car people are really car people and the rest are just doing what looks cool. And I love cars and coffee, but, and they're not to blame. I mean, car shows period, like anything to show something off is, is people do it for that. They do it for clout. Um, yeah, no, it's for sure. It's, People are doing it to be cool because that's, you know, it's, it's the rad mentality, right? You got a bunch of people that weren't alive in 1990 buying 1990 cars and ordering crystal Pepsi shirts and, you know, stuff off eBay so they can embrace that lifestyle. Meanwhile, they still have a greased beard in the hard part, you know, which anyway. You're saying something about my hair, Doug? <laughs> you don't have a hard part. 
That's close. Or a grease. No, <laughs> it's like the shaved sides and the. Ethan, why is everybody giving me this look? Ethan, you have long hair. I feel jaded with the beard comment. Your beard isn't greased. <laughs> I'm talking about the manicured friggin' it's shiny like. Anyway. All right, moving on before both Ethan and I just defect. Uh, Ferraro Luke asks, how do you think a modern cannonball run would go with no restrictions on cars, all starting at a shotgun start? Terrible. To make things interesting, there's a $1 million prize for the winner. What cars do you think people would choose? What preparations, countermeasures, or methods of friendly sabotage would people use? And how would the police react? Would you participate? No. more than one question. Okay, yeah. Um, it would go terribly. People would die. The cops would shut it down, and I would not go. Now, to, I, to expand on that, all of the diehard cannonballers really, really want there to be something like the original cannonball because that was an experience, Right. So we all want to get together at a secretive meeting and bring out the best equipment we possibly can and do an all-out race. And we've limited, we've done things like the musket ball with 100 horsepower races and the C2C Express with vintage cars because we just know that we can't go that fast. It would get out of hand way too quickly. Um, but we all want to. And actually, April 4th of 2020, we had planned to, but it was a very secretive thing. Just It wasn't even official. It was just, hey, we're going to get together for dinner in New York on Friday. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. And it was only people in the know, and it would have been fine. But something like this, the people that would show up are the people that think it's like a modern day gumball 3000 that watch mischief 3000 all credit to Dustin and Max and all the people who did that, like that doesn't work on a grand scale for a legit race across country. Never mind a million dollar purse, like legit people would just friggin' die and it would be terrible. It would ruin the cannonball name. Uh, so as much as we want to recreate a modern version of the old race, it's it's not going to happen, and it can't happen. So, yeah. All righty. Spencer won Sorensen. In your opinion, what is the worst mod people do to their daily drivers? Personally, I think replacing the factory steering wheel with a detachable one is dumb on cars where they would have had an airbag. AC delete, and it's even sillier when they order it from Porsche. Now I have an old car without AC and it's great, but a modern car needs aircon and the marginal difference in lap times achieved by the weight savings could uh, easily... Uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, 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 sorry, you're reading my notes. <laughs> oh, is, are, is the bold stuff in here your notes? Yes. Well, that's good. Every know. now and then I don't answer something off the cuff. I actually make notes. I do prepare for this. I definitely knew that, for sure. You definitely knew that. Okay, what is the worst mod people do to their daily drivers? Yes, uh, AC delete. Um you already read my answer. <laughs> <laughs> Shall I just finish it for you? No. At this point? No. Okay. Yeah. When people order AC delete from the factory, but, but usually they don't do it because they are ordering a track car. They're like, oh, well, this will be rare and resellable down the road. And it never has been. I don't know. Maybe 
okay, you look at like 73 RSs and you look at the lightweights, uh, sunroof deletes on old cars, the bare bones stuff on really, really old cars does end up pulling more money because it's valuable. But again, that's not the question. It's, I mean, I guess that is the question. What's the worst mod? Uh, but in all seriousness, a roll cage is the dumbest thing you can do on a street car because you should not have a roll cage without a helmet. Because if you get in an accident and you move and your head hits, head hits your head hits a friggin' steel pipe, you're dead. Roll cages are made to work with helmets. So don't friggin' roll cage your street car. Fire away, Tyler. Don't read the bold right. stuff. No bold text this time. Benny I only made notes on two. Everything else is off the cuff. I don't know if that matters. Uh, it makes me feel better about myself. Well, now the cat's out of the bag. Everybody knows. Mm. All right, Benny Schwartz. As long as the cat know. that's out of the bag doesn't piss on my Corvette, he can live. All right, what do you think about what do you think it is about cars, racing, and driving quickly that appeals to us car people so much? I recently heard Jerry Seinfeld's response to this question, and I'm interested in hearing yours. Okay, so thankfully, I don't really watch or listen to any other podcast, so I have no idea what Jerry said about this, because if I did, I'd probably get like tunnel vision. I wouldn't be able to answer it honestly. Um, I think there's a couple things. So I started liking cars when I was like four years old. And it was just a natural physical attraction. And I think it's like the same way that we're attracted, that boys are attracted to women's bodies, right? Like the curves just look good. But when you're five, obviously you don't have hormones. So you like the curves of a 993 Turbo S, right? It's got a nice fat butt and yeah. So I like, I, I can't explain that. I can't explain why I liked that versus you know, somebody else liking star troopers or whatever the storm ship is, you know, the white pe the white suit people that fly through space anyway. So I, I don't know why some people like cars and others don't, but I remember when I was like 12 or 13, my older sister asked me about why I like cars so much and basically said like, you like cars only based on the aesthetics, right? Like she said, I could, I can drive them. So I know what they do for me and what they're capable of. And she's like, your enjoyment of cars is going to totally change once you can actually experience them. And that's totally true. Like some car guys are just natural car guys, but they don't really know why or what they're experiencing. And then they actually get to drive them and feel them and hear them and smell them. And that experience totally changes and is amplified. However, natural attraction aside, uh, the book, why we drive by Matthew Crawford solidified why I love cars. And I am going to completely butcher what he said, but basically you just need to go buy his book and read it. But essentially he's, He's talking about a, a connection between a person and a machine and the fact that we as humans are built to be um, not only intelligent, but to, to work with our hands. 
to be good at things, to learn how to do things, to increase in skill. And that increase in skill feeds our self-worth, feeds our intelligence. And if we our intelligence, and if we don't do these things, we become stupid. And he referenced the movie Wally like a bunch of times. And I think that's incredibly true, right? So, and he said this basically decrying autonomous cars. And he said that um, when we connect with a car and feel that feedback and know that we're doing something that matters and that is, you know, part of our skill set that increases our intelligence, our intelligence and it increases our happiness. So there's a fundamental part of our being that when we connect with a car, it actually makes us smarter and happier. And that I didn't know that beforehand, but when he said that, and when I read it, I'm like, freaking get out the highlighter dog ear, the page like that is, you know, short of Jesus dying on the cross. That is gospel. That is automotive gospel right there. So that is why we love cars in my opinion it's stolen totally from matthew crawford yeah you ready for the next one yeah okay chef brett stevens asks this might be a better question for dan as he knows more than me but any idea how many 993s were optioned with the x79 fender vents yeah okay dan Doucette knows more than everybody because i didn't even know that was a thing I thought they were just all on the turbo S's. So yeah, I shouldn't admit that as a, like literally I charged lots of money to be a Porsche expert, but okay, moving on. Yeah, those aren't GT cars though. That's more your thing. That's true. <laughs> what Dan? Dan Doucette didn't know. <laughs> oh my gosh. Chef Brett Stevens, you know more than Dan Doucette. Dan, do you, can you send him something? Is there an award for winning? Stumping Dan? I don't know. It could be some like signed headshots or something of Dan Doucette himself. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> um, what the heck? I, you had me on something. I'm like, I knew there's something to, to send him. And now, oh, 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 yes, the signed headshots, the the photo shoot for Bumble of him in the the leopard leopard tiger suit whatever in front of the ferrari chef brett stevens dan's instagram is at arrow 108 <laughs> friggin hit him up tell him he owes you a signed picture of the photo shoot from the bumble th- if you want it you <laughs> actually you probably don't want it never mind <laughs> i'll send you the whole friggin album you don't want it all right adam is on the line um he wants to talk about supply adam How's it going? Hey, how you doing? Good. Um, you know, I hate to be a dead horse with the whole auto industry, but, you know, up here, you know, a lot of companies in Northeast Ohio right now are laying off because the manufacturers are producing the shortage of the vehicles. I deal with a lot of the uh, production machinery moving and setting up. Um <laughs> as far as the used machinery side goes. Mm-hmm. And they are, I know of three manufacturers right now that are flat out refusing shipment of standard production run parts from some of these suppliers here up here in Northeast Ohio. Why? And their workforces are getting laid off. 
Why are they I doing that? Nobody knows why. Nobody's figuring it out. So you're saying the parts um, are there to produce the cars, but they're refusing the shipments. Yes. Hmm. That's that's interesting. There's a company that makes there's a company that makes springs in the general area for uh, the seats and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know six guys that got laid off from that facility because they were told they are the manufacturers are not accepting our orders. Interesting. They are telling us to cancel our production. Okay. So supply and demand catching up. I really don't think it's going to catch up for a while because the manufacturers are just going to create the shortage. Right. Well, it's, it's more advantageous for them to sell a car at 30%, 40% over time. Sure. Yeah. And they don't have to floor plan their dealers anymore either that they reduce their risk. So it, yeah, that's an interesting perspective that some of this could be artificial because the manufacturers and the dealers are getting spoiled by this new on demand, what is it, the Dell business model, where they don't have to carry inventory. <laughs> and right. they weren't smart <laughs> enough to figure it out on their own, but, you know, global pandemic figured it out for them. And now they're saying, we don't, we don't want this to end. So we're going to artificially constrain supply. Right. Well, interesting. All right. Uh, yeah, no, I just thought I'd put my two cents in on that. No, that that's a really, right. really good perspective, and I, I I appreciate that. That's that's um, thank you for the call, Adam. Hi, right. love the show. Yep, Bye. thanks. Have a great evening. Yeah, that's um, I, I've I've heard things like that from sources I can't disclose as well. So Adam's not alone in that. Um, you know, I don't. I don't know what to make of that, right? Because even as the supply chain catches up, if the manufacturers are artificially going to constrain it in perpetuity in order to keep prices up, then you know we could never see the end of this. So, unless another manufacturer comes along that says, "Screw this, we're gonna we're gonna compete and we're gonna lower prices." That's the beauty of capitalism, right? Oh no, we're getting into politics. Okay, back to the questions. All right, Kagan Bilgilly wants to talk about Porsche. They ask, out of all the different models and generations you've driven, which Porsche model was the biggest letdown for you and why? There's a mm. bonus question. Do you want the bonus now or after you? What think? do I get for bonus? Do I get like bonus points? Uh, or? Pat on the back, I guess. I don't know. All right, well, let's answer that one. Um, I don't. Okay, I have to answer this as if I drove it now, right? Because a lot of the letdown comes with hype. Um, there's very few fundamentally bad cars. There's just cars that don't live up to their expectations. And the 944 is a decent car. It's slow, but the track guys love it because of its 50-50 weight distribution, and they really love the 944 Turbo. I like the 944 Turbo, and I liked them when they were 15 grand. But if I drove one today, where they're you know 30 to 80 thousand dollar cars, let's just call it 50 for the you know average, I would be really really disappointed because a 944 Turbo 
as a $50,000 car is a huge disappointment. It's a good car. It's just not worth that. And, and I think there's, there's some increase in values now that is legitimate where cars are getting their due and others that's just speculative. And I think cars like the 944 Turbo are somewhat speculative. They made a lot of them. They're decent cars. They're expensive to maintain, but you know they have no torque and a lot of boost. But as soon as you get into boost, you have to shift. And yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think the 944 Turbo would be my answer, but I was never let down by it because I started driving them 10 years ago when they're 10 to 15 grand. They're awesome cars for that money, but not for 50 plus. So the bonus question, is there a favorite or preferred Porsche tuner of yours that could overcome the main problem of that model with a product of theirs? Mm. Porsche overcame the problem by making the 968. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm not biased at all. <laughs> okay. Carson Shore, more Porsche. With Porsche having won over 24,000 auto races around the globe, as well as 50-plus class wins at Le Mans, is, it is no question that these cars are as track-focused as they are well-built. With that being said, what is the best generation of 911 to head to the track with? Which cars are best suited for the avid racing enthusiasts, and which are best for those just getting into racing, say the entry-level 911 enthusiast? They'll be tuning in. So hi, Carson. The Boxster is the best generation of 911 to head to the track with. <laughs> I, I need I need my mic drop answers. I I need to say them more seriously and not laugh. No, I I seriously like man, friggin' grab a Boxster Spider and go to the track. Uh, that's the best entry level car. It's a mid engine platform. Like that 911s are awesome cars. I know they're the flagship of Porsche, but. A mid-engine car is better balanced. It's better for the friggin' track, for that matter. 944 is 50-50 weight distribution, so go buy a 944 track car and buy a 911 for the street. Um, I guess if I want to answer your actual question, buy like a 996 GT3. That's probably about the best. Like that's that's the closest to a legit track car from a U.S. production 911 that you can get. Um, yeah, because as much as people call modern GT3s race cars for the street, they're not. They're street cars that are derived from race cars that have race car heritage, but they are fundamentally street cars. Um, any real race car guy is going to put 1,100-pound springs and delete the aircon and airbags and everything else and lighten the car and put steel slotted rotors on it and fundamentally change the car. Um, so they're, they're really not race cars, but the 996 GT three is probably the best out of the box 911 track car, but it's, I'd still take a boxer spider. Um, I'm going to go to some of the live stream questions. So we, uh, Let's see. Tyler Dijon, where do you see cars and transportation going? Do you think owning a car will be an affluent thing or a hobby? Do you think electric transportation will gain actual traction and surpass gas cars? Oh gosh. I hate that question because like I don't I don't want EVs to surpass ICEs, but 
there's so much government intervention happening that I feel like it's somewhat inevitable, but at the same time, the infrastructure isn't there. The technology isn't there. Um, I, I don't know. It, it really depends on government regulation, which really sucks because we live in a free market economy. Theoretically, we live in a free world, but, but we don't. Um, if consumer demand was driving it, EVs would not have a chance. I, I guess I'll just answer it that way. Um, I, I can't predict what the government's going to do. Uh, sorry. Lou Sassels asked, not really a question <laughs> he didn't ask, but if you check Dave Collins' website, it looks like the Cannonball Jag XJS is for a sale. It is and it isn't. Um, they took it to the um, Worldwide Auctioneer's sale in uh, the Middle East, which is kind of a farce sale, like not really anything sold. Everybody just sent it there and they had shill bids and it was a great party and display thing and it got bid up to a couple hundred thousand dollars or something which it is not worth um it, it's been for sale for a long time ed bullions tried to buy it but they just want too much money uh elon musk is suspicious 43 doug what's your dream watch uh, this has to be car related so this isn't my dream watch but i've been trying to find a louis erard ultima gtr uh, limited edition watch the one with the the three chronos not the one because it looks like a cyclops so if anyone out there knows where one is I'll buy one but not for three grand only for a thousand bucks anyway that's that's the one i've been trying to find it's super obscure but i like obscure watches uh cooper astro asked doug how serious are the amg wagons you said are being prepped for runs are they just shooting for a stout number or are they looking to make a record attempt my knowledge, I think both of them are trying to go for the record. Uh, I don't, I don't know how qualified they are. Uh, I don't know how far along they are, or how ready they are, or how it will go. Nobody knows how it will go until they get to the Portofino. But they they are both going for the overall record, as far as I know. Um, let's go to question of the week before we get back to you, Tyler. Uh, question of the week is brought to you. This is the nuts for sticks question of the week. And you can, uh, this question of the week gets a big swag package, two t-shirts, a license plate frame, some stickers. We just released nuts for sticks stickers. I guess if you're nuts for stickers, ha 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 ha. If you go to nutsforsticks.com and enter discount code SWITCHCAST, you get 10% off your merchandise order. Question is, what's a car you think every car enthusiast should own? And I love this question because it has nothing to do with value. It's just, what do you think every car enthusiast should own? You know what my answer is? Corvette C5. Because it's a car that you have to not care about what people think in order to own. I've recommended so many people buy a Corvette C5 or C6 or whatever. And they're like, I can't buy a Corvette. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want the stigma. And it's like, dude, it's a good car. Stop caring about what people think. It's an amazing car for the money. Sub 20 grand. Good gas mileage. Reliability. LS motor. Awesome sound. Comfortable. Track car. Street car. Whatever. It does everything. I think everybody needs 
a Corvette in their collection. Every car guy. C5, C6, C6, C06, whatever. It depends on your budget. But yes, Corvette, for sure. It's my turn now? It's your turn now. <laughs> S4 Racing 96 uh, asks, do you think that manufacturers run tunes or other performance-boosting parts that are not disclosed on cars they use for lap records? One example is the C&D Lightning Lap in 2008 uh, with a Cobalt SS that was later found to be running a GIAC chip, whatever that is. GIAC. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they do. Like in racing, if, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, right? So um, I don't know that it's always tuned, so I think some of it is more subtle. So maybe they're running shaved tires or... You know, they have mechanics on site that are tuning the suspension. So the car is stock. They're just doing things to it that wouldn't be done. Um, when you take delivery from a dealer, they're lowering the suspension. Little things here and there that would impact a, a Nürburgring lap time. And even, like, let's go all the way back to the, the Nissan GTR when that came out. Um, they're talking about ringer cars. And I don't think there was a ringer car. It was just, there's two factors. There's three different tires offered for the Nissan GTR. And the best tire was the Dunlop that was offered on the base model, but everybody ordered the premium package car. Those cars were multiple seconds slower around the track. And I have like 10,000 track miles in a Nissan GTR in all different, with all different tires. The Bridgestone tires offered on the premium package were garbage. So one, I think they used the Dunlop tires for their Nürburgring lap time. And the one that I had was a ringer engine. The engines were hand-built, so they all differed. And even the guy who tuned it said, like, holy crap, this engine has like 50 more horsepower out of the box. And I took somebody else on a test drive in a different one. I'm like, these cars are amazing. And I got into boost, and he's like, my Porsche Turbo is faster. And I said, yeah, you're actually right, because that one was just that one was slower. So I think there's a combination of legitimate tricks or just variations in individual cars and how they're produced. And absolutely there's, there's probably some cheating going on as well. Alrighty. AJVM three asks, what do you think is the most difficult motorsport and why rallying? Absolutely rallying. Those guys are Friggin' maniacs. They don't get to go around a course 800 times. They have a navigator that's shouting out cryptic notes to them, and they drove it once at the speed limit, and yeah, it's rallying for sure. And the only people almost as crazy are the ones standing on all the corners, like right on the road. Right. Yeah, go back. And, yeah, it's not as crazy as it was, but go back and watch like Group B yeah, that's what videos. I'm about. Like they're standing in the road in front of them to get pictures and then clearing the road as they come by. That was absolute death wish. Yeah. Papa Ket asks, you can only choose, well, says, you can only choose two for your next cannonball run power and handling, radar safety and gadgets, or extended fuel range. Which one are you letting go of and why? Um. Oh, that's a tough one. Radar safety and gadgets I would keep. The other two are a debate because we've done some really fast times in the musket ball with a hundred horsepower 
event and there's been some really fast times in fast cars with no fuel cells. So I think you could, uh, you could debate those to the death. Um, I'd probably take power and handling over the extended fuel range as long as I had a fuel efficient car. <laughs> okay. Into rogue says, Oh man, I need that 2539 sticker. But in terms of inflated car markets, what are some unexpected car price increases or blowups that you saw in your line of work? Did you notice a trend in certain models appreciating more than others? Yes. And that's something I touched on when Chris and I were talking that, there's a general increase in values, but then as speculators get involved, then there's kind of an outside market influence. They they say like, okay, well, I'm going to buy up GT3s. That's that's the flavor of the week. And you see GT3s go up or Ford GTs or Acura NSXs. I mean, like for example, let's talk about Ford GTs. Those all went up along with everything else in the COVID, mar- COVID market. But between basically Meekum Kissimmee, Kissimmee, however you pronounce it, last month, and now they just they jumped all of a sudden because people just said, okay, four GTs are the thing now. So, yeah, it, it, there's an ebb and flow with individual models even within this, this rise in values where you have other ones kind of going up and down around them uh, as they as they're the, the flavor of the week, the fad, as speculators get involved, as, you know, whatever the herd mentality where people say, Oh, well, Japanese stuff is cool. Now I'm going to buy supers and NSXs. So, yep. Yep. For sure. There's, there's that. And you might've answered this in that, but they also followed up with, uh, did the commercial value increase also have an effect on the used collectors car market? The commercial value. Because I think they're talking about new cars maybe. Oh yeah. I mean, rising tide lifts all ships. So, it's kind of like what's happening now to an extent. Yep. Next up is Carter Klein. I know Doug does some drumming in his spare time. What would you guys be doing if cars wasn't your career? Only after my jokes. Apparently I don't do enough drumming in my spare time. Um, I'd be a professional. I'd win the lottery. I, I don't know. <laughs> Frick. I mean, yeah, I'd. I'd as much as I say I'd love to be a tour drummer, I've done that briefly, and it's not an awesome lifestyle. It's it's not exciting. I mean, it is exciting, but it's only ex- the excitement wears off. So I probably would not be a professional drummer. Um, I don't know. Like I, my dream career is driving cars fast and being paid to drive them. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe some type of sports ultimate frisbee skiing can i be a pro water skier something like that drumming is too much work to do professionally well i'm trying to imagine you just in the typical corporate america office and i feel like you would just that's like a nightmare for you oh no i I couldn't (laughs) work for anyone in a traditional job um we already answered the next question so yeah we're gonna go with some live stream questions so um, Fierro asked, are you relieved you don't have to do the cannonball and chain? No, actually, I'm kind of disappointed. Um, yeah, side note, because it's my show, I'm going to say this. The whole 
Uh, okay, so backstory. The Cannonball and Chain was a competition on VinWiki to buy Ed's garbage Lambo Gallardo for thirty-five grand, And I was the runner-up to buy the car. You had to give a compelling reason to buy it. Mine was that I was going to do a Cannonball with my wife across country in a car that like didn't have heat and the top was stuck and things like that. And um, the, the person who won was the Vinwicky Lambulance person who was like, well, it's it's for the sick kids because I work with sick kids. And of course, that's, I mean, I get it. That's a compelling argument. Um, it's a compelling proposition. We were just going to donate the money to charity that we raised. Um, but yeah, they've been using the Lamborghini to build their YouTube channel and their Instagram following, and I've seen nothing about how it benefits sick kids. So um yeah i i don't mind losing but i like losing fairly so i'm super disappointed that we didn't do the cannonball and chain because i really wanted to raise thousands and thousands of dollars for charities that i cared about and the money would have gone directly to them and i could have seen a direct benefit to that and i haven't seen any benefit to sick children with who has lamborghini currently I'm not making friends on this show. I'm making enemies, but I, it's my show, so I'm going to say what I want. <laughs> also, I like spending time with my wife, so it would have been fun. Honest, like I was, yeah, I was looking forward to it. Um, Cal Mitchell asks, what career path do you tend to find the people you do the most business with, a.k.a. sell the most cars to? In other words, what is their careers? I I think I understand the question you're asking, which is like, how do you make enough money to buy awesome cars? Uh, which is a legitimate question. Um, there's some doctors, there's some lawyers. I think the majority of them that are buying the high end cars are business owners, people that have started their own thing, even if it's in the medical field or their own law practices or whatever. Uh, but usually it is just guys that started their own business, anything, construction, real estate, you name it, balloon salesman. Um, yeah, we're going to have a balloon salesman on next week who has an amazing Ferrari collection. So it's not about what you do. It's just about doing something really, really well, finding your passion and making something awesome out of it. So um, with that, I think we're going we're gonna to wrap this up. We're going to go to props and flops. And... I'm going to find them. Yes, I am. The props and flops are brought to you by Switch Cars. We are filming this show in the Switch Cars studio. Switch Cars is the enthusiast's car dealership located in Twinsburg, Ohio. We buy, sell, consign, and service and store only cars that we like ourselves. Check out our hand-picked inventory on switchcars.com. And if you mention SwitchCast, when you call in on a car, you can get a $1,000 price increase. That's what we're doing this week. Yes, right. $1,000 price increase because that makes it more desirable. So my pick of the week is 2007 Porsche 911 Turbo has 140,000 miles, six-speed manual. It's bath salts black with good mods and a great service history. And that car is proof that these cars age far better than Italian cars. And this car is value priced at a mere 75 grand. That's right, a manual for the price of a Tiptronic. Our flop of the week. 
Opinions are like buttholes. Everyone has one, and most people on the forums have three or four opinions, not buttholes. This week is no exception, as one guy on Renlist remarked on our 2007 Turbo that I just mentioned, quote, that's a hefty price for the mileage. Now, Renlist rules are such that there is to be no price discussion and no negative comments. Now, I'm not afraid of an open forum, as sometimes the detractors are correct. However, if you're going to make an assertion, you better be sure, otherwise you look silly. And that car is priced ten grand below any other manual turbo on the market. It is priced very, very well. So, if your ass isn't sure a ton, don't make an assertion. See what I did there? Yeah. Yep. 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 Uh, our prop of the week goes to my chick-fil-a server today and i don't know his name i'm sorry no 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 so i drove up in the 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 garbage patina 996 and you know he didn't know what kind of car it was but he was over the moon that it was a stick shift and he's like dude i want to buy a stick shift i just moved here from arizona i want to buy a stick and i'm like I didn't think anyone under 25 gave a crap anymore about stick shifts. And he just looked like he didn't know about cars. He just knew we wanted a stick shift. He didn't care what it was. I'm like, that is awesome. Friggin' everybody else is just like ordering up friggin' Uber on their phones and he wants to buy a stick shift. So did you give him a, did you give him a nuts for sticks? Uh, I didn't have anything on me. Oh, come on. I, I don't care. I, whatever. I'm not like a Jehovah's Witness. I don't carry tracks for my business with me, okay? Like, I just, I was like, hey, man, look up switch cars. I, so, anyway, dude from Chick-fil-A, if you're watching, thumbs up to you. Um, okay. <laughs> Thank you to my co-host, Alternate Doug, for coming on switch cars. <laughs> we had a great time. <laughs> Okie dokie. Um, thank you all for watching. I appreciate answering questions. I appreciate participating with you. This show wouldn't be anything if it was just me. Um, well, it would be. We drink bourbon and we just all give each other crap. But anyway, thank you. Thank you to our sponsors. Boxcast, GT Vault, Nuts, Nuts for Sticks, Switch Cars, Celebrity Machines, and Stephen Holm Woodworking, who made us this amazing friggin' table. Thank you to our producer and call screener, Ethan Huffnagel. Our bumper music is provided by Emily and Ivory. You can stream their full album on Spotify or SoundCloud. This episode will be available Friday in audio format wherever you listen to podcasts. And by the way, Friday, we will be down at Amelia Island. So if you are there for the car events... Find us and say hi. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next Wednesday at 8 p.m. We'll look forward to answering your automotive questions to help you on the drive of your life.